Okay, y'all, welcome to episode nine of season one of Hang On Sis. Nine being a holy number, the number of completeness. This is our last episode of the season. I just want to thank you all for tuning in, for listening, for supporting the podcast, for sharing it with your friends. It's been really cool to hear the stories about what God is doing in people's lives through this. And I just want to be open-handed and obedient. I'm taking the next couple of months to to dream and vision cast and plan for season two. I'm super excited and expectant for what the Lord is going to do with that. And I took the last couple of weeks off from podcasting because I had a contract for a show, a Christmas show. It was so much fun. And then Christmas hit. And 2024 is almost here, so I think the timing is just perfect for one last episode, and then we will smooth sail into a new year and season two. Every year in December, I take time to reflect on miracles that the Lord has done in my life, on God moments throughout the year. I go back and I read through prayer journals and diaries and just posture my heart not only to believe for what God is going to do in the next year but to express gratitude for what he's done in my life previously. In the first episode we talked about the Ebenezers so the the stones of remembrance and as I was preparing for this new year I'm a little under the weather and I was I was praying over that and I felt the Lord gently and lovingly remind me of a time when I was so physically sick that if he had not done a miracle, I wouldn't be here today. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the place that he did this miracle for me was at Mount Sinai West, a hospital in Manhattan. In scripture, Mount Sinai, of course, is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and it's where he makes a covenant with his people, with with the Israelites, as he's brought them out of captivity in Egypt to this mountain. And for me, Mount Sinai was where God kept one of his promises to me. This was in 2019. I had moved to New York that June, and that August, I had made some homemade guac. (laughs) And the day after, I started getting really sick. I thought it was food poisoning. I thought maybe I had a bad avocado. (laughs) But four to five days after that, I was still very sick to my stomach. I had a fever at this point and was having severe pain in my abdomen and had still not gone to the doctor. Something was just like, you you have to go. So I went to an urgent care and the doctor there, he pressed on the bottom right side of my stomach and he said, I think it's your appendix I can't verify it unless we do a CT scan, but the way it's feeling, I think it's already ruptured. He said, we can either call an ambulance or you can walk to the hospital or you can call an Uber or taxi. So I didn't think I could make <laughs> the blocks. Um, I didn't think I could walk those the blocks it was going to take to get to the hospital. So I remember calling my Uber, getting to the hospital, walking in, and the entire emergency room was completely empty. It was a Sunday, but it was a Sunday in New York City where normally tons of people would have been there. 
My heart rate was at 160 at this point. My fever was like 103. I was barely able to make sense with what I was saying because at that point I was so out of it. They start all the testing. They determine that it is my appendix and that my appendix did already rupture. They rush me into the OR. I happen to have a doctor who I know that the Lord had her there exactly for me in this moment. She did the surgery. It turns out I had gone septic. So basically my bloodstream was poisoned from my appendix rupturing. And once they took the appendix out, they had to start me on antibiotics. My mom was en route up from Nashville to New York to be with me. And I remember my doctor, we came out of the surgery. I was waking up and the next day she came by. She was not on, she was not working the next day, but she came by to check on me. And she said, if you had not come in the moment you did, I don't think you would have survived. Because of the sepsis, it made an appendectomy way worse than it was supposed to be. But my mom made it up. I was able to fly back home and recover in Nashville. And through all of that, I just had such a peace. Somehow the Lord in that, he just let me know that he was the one that was taking care of me. He was right there with me. And Mount Sinai became a holy place for me. When I think of a mountain, it's it's a stable place. It's a place that's immovable. And so often we think of mountains as negative things, the things that are in our way from reaching our destination. Scripture even says, like, speak to the mountain, right? Mountains can be moved by our faith. But I'm just reminded that sometimes those mountains are the biggest blessings because they deepen our faith and our trust in the Lord. So after the Lord reminded me of of Mount Sinai, I went back to Deuteronomy. And it's right after the section where it talks about blessing, the blessing on Asher, general praise and blessing. And then it gets to the death of Moses. This is Deuteronomy chapter 34. So Moses is actually the one that is going to get to lead the people into the promised land. That's Joshua. But it goes on verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died, but his eye was not dull, nor had the vitality departed. Verse 10. No prophet ever again arose in Israel like Moses, who knew the Lord face to face. He did all the signs and wonders the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, all his servants, and the whole land. And he displayed great power and awesome might in view of all of Israel. Moses was ready to be used by God. In his own might, he was not capable, but God equipped him because he called him. And the Lord used Moses in this beautiful story to bring the Israelites to the land that he promised them. Verse 5 says, Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's what he's known as. Moses is the servant of the Lord. That's my prayer going into 2024, that I would be a servant of the Lord, that my eyes would be open to what he wants to do, that my heart would be willing to do what he says to do. I would act in obedience, that he would give me spirit eyes, spirit ears, 
that I would be walking in step with him, that I'd be so attuned to his voice that I'm able to go to go exactly where he wants me to go and to do exactly what he wants me to do with just a whisper. His eye was not dull, nor had his vitality departed. He knew the Lord face to face. So Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the Ebenezer's that you give us in life. I thank you for your faithfulness and your loving kindness to us through the years. I pray for every heart that is listening to this podcast. I pray that you would revitalize their spirits. Pray that you would give them fresh vision for 2024. I pray that like Moses, their eyes would not dull, that you would give them vitality. Lord, most of all, God, I just pray that you would just draw them close, close to you, God, that they would know you face to face, God. And I thank you that having a relationship with you means that we do get to know you face to face, that you care for the mountains in our life, that when the mountains seem like good things, God, mountaintop experiences, that you're right there with us. But when the mountains feel like obstacles, God, you are equally there. I pray that you would give faith to move the mountains in 2024. And I pray that you would give us open hearts ready to be obedient to whatever you say to do. In your name I pray. Amen. Happy 2024! I'm so glad we met up today. Me too. This has been the best day. I know. We got our sunshine. Sunshine, our highbrow coffee. Kombucha. (laughs) So good. I know. It's so yummy. Mm -hmm. They make their own, which is like amazing. I feel like you can never find that. I love it. I've never been there before, but super cute. I know. We got to like walk around the pond. There's fire pits. Um, Yes. If y'all have not been to West Haven and Franklin, you have to come. It's our favorite hang. It is. It's so pretty. I feel like we're on, it's almost like we're on a beach. Yeah. Like 30A or something. And I'm such a beach girl. Me too. So I think that's why I come here all the time. Because I'm landlocked in Nashville. And I'm like, I need water. I need sunshine. I need to walk around. Just go to 30A, West Haven. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 30A, West Haven. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast and kicking off episode one of season two. Woohoo! I think that was the first episode. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, we're I'm excited. Fresh okay. off a hiatus and so excited that, that you're here to share your story. Yay, me too. Um, so just a little background on Renee and how we met. We were at Grace. Yeah. Um, Grace Christian Academy. I was academy, yeah, GCA. Yeah. I was teaching, you were teaching. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting and I was sitting in a chair and I think I was 
on a break or maybe it was at the end of the day, the school day, but I was sending in an audition. Do you remember this? And you were like, is it on Actors Access? And I said, yes, but I don't know what I'm doing. And you helped me. I don't remember that, but I'm so glad I did that. You You helped me send in that audition tape on Actors Access because I had not used that um, app before. (laughs) Yeah. You probably had to do WeTransfer. Yes. Yep. Oh yeah. That's my jam for auditions. (laughs) Yep. Um, so Renee, can you just give a little bit of backstory into who you are? Um, and yeah, just so, so our audience knows who we're meeting today. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm Renee, like she said, and recent newlywed. So that's been super exciting. So now I'm Renee Marsden. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mrs. Marsden. Mrs. Marsden. (laughs) I know. I made a jacket that said that. Like so cute. Right around our wedding. And I was like, as long as you don't get really close, then you can't tell that I've like hot glued that thing and like see all the glue marks. But if you're far away, it's just glittery and looks like I bought it and had it made. So in pictures, it looked amazing, but up close, it's a hot mess. Literally a hot mess with hot glue. Oh yeah, it's not where my crafty skill goes. Um, but anyways, I grew up in mostly South Carolina. My mom was a choir director um, at the church, and my dad worked something in the church. And like, so I grew up on stage and in church. And then, um, I guess, long story shorter, I went through different kinds of traumas that made me kind of wrestle with God. Can I trust you? Do you really protect me? Do you really love me? So I walked away and then um, came back, kind of like a little prodigal moment in there. And I came back, I think I was around 20 years old, 19, going on 20. And right when I surrendered my life over as an adult decision, um, the first thing that popped up was my aunt asked me to move to Tennessee and come choreograph a musical for a school for a middle school and high school musical. And I was like, um, I've never done that here, Connie, you know, <laughs> like, but at the same point, uh, I felt like, well, I just gave my life to Jesus and this has got to be him, you know? So I was so excited and I just went for it and I literally choreographed it at my parents' house. I was, yeah, 19 or 20 years old and we bought plywood flooring, put it down in like the old screen porch area and then my dad bought me ballet bars and completely put them in the wrong spots. They were way too high to actually use, but it was cool. And then I got a bunch of mirrors from Walmart and like made my own little studio and choreographed the whole thing in there. Wow. Like, and the actual musical itself was probably about, you know, 100 kids or something or 60 something kids because everyone did show choir there. It was a huge deal there. They win wow. competitions, go to Europe. And um, so I, I choreographed the whole thing in there and like, God just gave me the gift to be able to do that. When I hear music, I can just see visually, like, what the is staging, the lighting. the yeah. yeah. That's why I love the design <laughs> stuff, like interior design yes. and event planning and wedding planning. Um, but, yes, yeah, so that was my first job out of the gate. And then I worked, like, at, um, I think, Dillard's or something for a while and just different things. But a woman came in there who was taking ballroom lessons and talked. She was a really old lady. <laughs> And she talked me into coming with her to a ballroom lesson. I was like, sure. And I just thought, wait, you could do that as a job? So I immediately thought of maybe Dirty Dancing. And I was like, I could have a job like that? That'd be amazing. And so... Patrick Sweezy. Yeah. So I was like, yes. And I went and 
the entire time they're trying to sell me stuff, like sell me lessons. And I was like, look, I don't know how many times you have to hear no before you actually listen to it, but I've done sales. And I'm not interested in buying lessons, but I'm totally interested in your job. So can I meet your <laughs> boss? And he's like, fine. And um, I auditioned for a few months. Then I got that. Then I cheered for the National Predators. I did country music videos, all kinds of dance stuff. Toured with some artists for a little while. And then, um, yeah, then, then I got hit by a car walking across the street. And God transitioned me more into acting, yeah. which is what you do. <laughs> and... Um, and I love it. I love film acting. And so then TV hosting kind of came my way. Acting jobs came yeah. my way. And God just really brought them easily. So I knew I was on the right track. And I eventually moved out to L.A. to pursue all that. Um, so, yeah, that would be backstory. Yeah. And then the next part would be, like, health stuff. Yeah. So with, but, yeah. with your move to L.A., I know you, we've talked about how my journey in New York was kind of similar to your journey in LA and how just you experienced the darkness of the industry and how, how did that grow your faith and how did that kind of lead you, lead you back here? Yeah. So uh, it was good that I was already strong in my faith before Mm -hmm. I went to LA. I always wanted to go there earlier (laughs) Now I'm really glad I didn't because I think that I would have really gotten lost out there because you don't realize how hard it is until you're thrown in it. Um, but I think I went out to LA at 30. I think it was 30 when I went, which is way too old, they say, to go there. And they thought I was 26 and they still thought I was too old. So I don't know what age I would have to be to get there. But anyways, I went out to LA. I felt like the Lord was leading me there. And, um... In the South, where I grew up, and I don't know if you're from the South. Yeah, okay. nice years. Yeah. yeah. So Bible Belt, Bible and everybody Belt. goes to church, and being a Christian is the norm, and like, at least everyone says they are, or they at least cultural, go to church. It's cultural, a cultural Christianity, Christianity kind yeah. of society. And then you go to LA, and it's not the cool thing to be. It's actually very hard to meet people that are Christian. Um, you have to be so intentional. So yeah. one thing that I really realized was I had to be very intentional, super intentional to make friends, um, step out of my comfort zone all the time, go to random coffee meetings all the time with people. They'd be like, I know someone, go meet them. And I would because I knew no one when I went there. Yeah. And um, and so it was actually like, they say it's nicknamed the loneliest city in the world. Mm-hmm. So I experienced a lot of loneliness and and that was a really hard season um and then the industry is really tough and stressful Mm -hmm. and I did see a lot of darkness in the industry so I had to place myself in the light like so intentionally so I went to two different churches like (laughs) I went to one on like a Tuesday um where Judah Smith is the preacher yeah I went to that one and then I went to one like that was close to me where I was living in Santa Monica vintage and I would go there on Sunday I would go to the other one on Tuesday I was in like two different bible studies and it's still still wasn't like enough to really fill me to the point I needed out there. Cause that it's just really hard out there. Um, being a Christian, but I loved that when I got in the churches, how many people I saw from Hollywood that were in there and you can see they're, they love the Lord and like, they're out there trying to be a light, you know, and I just realized how much light God has in Hollywood. So yeah. I don't like when people say that it's just dark in Hollywood because right. it's not, there's so much light there. Yes. 
And there's a lot of people doing amazing things to be the light there. Mm -hmm. And I really felt called to be a part of that. Um, But it was super hard because I was out there on my own. Yeah. Um, Even when I would meet people, it's such a transient city where people get jobs and they're filming and then they're gone. So you just made a friend and then they're gone for months. And so it's hard. Um, And then they always say, like, if you date, you have to be geographically attractive. (laughs) And I was like, what does that mean? You're geographically compatible? I was like, what does that even mean? But it basically means traffic is insane and you better be close to each other. You're never going to see each other. Right. And um, so that just kind of describes like how that season was. It was lonely for me. Uh, I had to be very intentional to pour in light. It was easier to find darkness than light. Um, I, I saw a lot of things. And I, I know you're not supposed to have regrets, but I do because... The way that I did L.A., I would do differently. I went out there thinking I knew how to put myself where God wanted me. Mm. Like, okay, you're calling me to acting, so this is what I have to do. And I have to be at every event I'm invited to, or every party, or every red carpet, and all the places that people are, and that's going to be an open door, and people are your door. Mm. Instead of God being my door, I thought people were the door. So um, that obviously right there tells you a lot, because you're kind of desperate for someone to validate or approve or open a door for you yeah and um so I thought I was really confident going into it but I really got pretty I actually got very broken out there and I remember there was a pastor that had a sermon about how you hear about all the famous people that commit suicide or or die um out in Hollywood and stuff but he's like I wonder how many people no one knows their name and they're going through that and in that moment at that time I was and I never thought I'd be there again but I just got to a point where I felt that broken inside um and I went to the front of the church and I got prayed over and I told God I was like you've got to do things differently like I can't do it like I'm doing it I'm I'm so broken I'm so empty I I just I I need something this has to be different this is too hard Mm -hmm. but if you want me here do it differently and all of a sudden um my parents had planned a trip for me to come to Nashville and they didn't even know. So I had a one-way ticket and I came out here for a few months. And then I felt like God was closing the door to Nashville and showing me that at that time. And I wanted it open. Mm. And I went back to LA and in the next year I was out there, it was completely different. It was like more light, more friendship. Mm. Um, But I feel like he let me see the dark parts of LA so that I would see how much they need him and how much I need him. Yeah. And um, how life without him is really empty. And so I had him and it was still hard. Yes. Um, but I remember just to fall asleep, like playing sermons and listening to speakers 24 seven mm-hmm. when I was driving, when I was home to fall asleep at night, like all the time. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I didn't know I had the brain damage and the, the, yeah. uh, the issues I had with health going on that were contributing to how hard that was too. Yeah. So yeah, LA was a hard, hard season. Yeah. Some amazing things happened out there and it's beautiful. And I loved living by the beach and studying lines on the beach. There's nothing like that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I miss it. So that's why we're in West Haven, <laughs> our little beach area here. <laughs> but it was, it was one of the darkest, hardest seasons. Um, before the darkest hardest season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's transition into talking about 
your health journey and, and that dark season. Yeah. And just before we get started, it's been so cool for me to be able to like, to be able to see how God is redeemed and restored your health and oh, what a yeah. testament I know. it is to his goodness and his faithfulness. So I know. do you want to share, do you want to share about that? Yeah. Cause it just shows how awesome he is. Cause wow. <laughs> um, I definitely know that that's grace. Like when they say that's unmerited and undeserved and just God's yeah. love for us and, um, grace over us. Like I, I really understand grace um, but so, yeah, I learned how to really pour in so much light and so much life and really go to scripture 24 seven and just everything all the time. And I also started realizing that I had like this tendency to self-sabotage and, um, that I also battled fear. So like those two things were some of my struggles and I had already gotten um, some help with one of them and understood with a coach out there especially the self-sabotage thing that like your thoughts aren't truth everything you feel isn't truth and as an artist I was like everything I feel feelings are true feelings are true (laughs) and like I dated so many wrong people for that reason (laughs) but oh my goodness or I ran from things because I get so fearful that I'm like this isn't from God then this is a horrible thing and now I realize God doesn't lead by terrifying us and that was a horrible way to guide Come my life. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started learning, like, the whole taking thoughts captive, but without fully understanding that that even was what I was doing yet. Um, but I started understanding, like, truth is truth, and just how you feel is not your truth. And, like, yeah. when everybody says it's my truth, well, no, we don't need my truth because we're going to have God. a lot of confusing <laughs> truth. We need his truth yes. to identify us and everything. So, um but yeah, so anyways, I, I, uh, was, so to back up a little bit, I had had about eight concussions at this point. Yeah. Recently I had like yes. my 10th, but at this point I think I had eight. And, um, I know. And one of them was like, um, literally like walking across the street and getting hit by a car. That was one of the major, major ones. And that was after a major tour, backup dancer job. And um, with a country artist, it's huge. And she was the top tour of the year. And um, I was walking across the street day after my birthday, I think. And I got hit by a car. And um, that, like, changed things. And then I went to YWAM. Did YWAM and went to South Africa. I was working, like, anti-trafficking and all kinds of ministry things and I caught a rare infection from um that was Babesia which is also called Babesiosis and it's a blood parasite and it goes in the brain and the kind from South Africa they don't treat here so I had no idea though all I knew was my hair started falling out and so I was telling everybody not to buy the shampoo (laughs) and like I was like your hair will fall out look at these chunks like I'm not doing that and then, like, I couldn't eat food very well. I started having digestive oh my issues. Goodness. Yeah, like, it just went downhill and downhill. It was the highest fever I've ever run in my life. I was vomiting all the time, and I was out there in South Africa, like, working on missions in a tribal township. You can't really get good care oh, out there. no. No, so I was um, experiencing all of that out there. And, and I had had another um, concussion after finally starting to heal from that one, and that was probably my sixth, so this is maybe my seventh at this point. And, um, I was on a tubing 
but my friends from Nashville behind a ski boat and we hit a wake and like we were on the same tube and my skull bounced off her skull and bounced off the water oh my goodness Renee yeah that's the one that like legit did me in and I caught a friend who played for Titans at the time because who better to talk to about concussions and I was like um I think I had another one of these and he's like okay, well, then you should go to a hospital. And, or he was describing my symptoms. He's like, I think you had a concussion again. Yeah. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I think I just have a fever. I think I'm getting sick. He's like, no. Do you even remember that day? I was like, no. And then I was telling him all the symptoms. And he was like, yeah, you had a concussion. And so I called a concussion clinic that deals with, you know, a lot of the players and of Vanderbilt and stuff. And they were like, well, how long have you had this concussion and symptoms? I was like, oh, just about like three days now. And they're like, wait, this is a recent acute thing? Like, you need to go to the ER. Yeah. And I said, that's expensive. Is there another option? And she was like, no, you could hemorrhage and die on this phone call. Like, go. I was like, oh, no, okay, this is serious. Yeah. And I was like, well, I think about it because <laughs> I wanted to save money. Starving artist. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I went. Of course, I had a major um, brain injury and had to do, like, six months of therapy for that. So that was even before going to L.A. And then I... They said that I was getting worse and not better, and I just prayed. I went home, and I was like, God, I've been doing this for, like, months now, and um, I'm getting worse and not better. Mm-hmm. So if you really have acting for me, if you're really calling me to this, then I'm not afraid to go wherever you want to send me. I'll go anywhere, but just heal my brain. Yeah. Like, because I'm more afraid to not be able to do it than to go wherever you want me to go. And so um, I got well enough to go to LA and a friend invited me and I my lease was up and so I I went with her for her birthday trip and I bought a one-way ticket and people threw me a huge going away party in Asheville and I told them not to I was like what if I come back in two weeks this is embarrassing they're yeah. like we really think you're gonna be gone we don't think you're coming back and I was like no I am you know and then when I got to the going away party there were like a hundred people or more wow. in there they threw a huge thing and in that moment, I knew I wasn't coming back. And it was just a really weird moment. And I did the one-way ticket, went out there, back up sing for my friend for a bit. And then um, uh, f- ended up staying in a place that God completely put together. And that's a different story, but got out there. And um, so I'd had all those injuries, had the infection that went unnoticed. And when I was in a Lifetime movie, I was on set. And I didn't know where I was or who I was. I didn't know if I was real or if I was dead, or what was reality, and I was so scared, and I was like, something is really wrong, because I'd been for the whole time I was there dealing with having trouble digesting food, Mm. having trouble eating food, getting to the point where all I could do was drink juice, it got to a point where I couldn't drink juice, I was just drinking water, then I did some IVs, and um, naturopathic stuff, all kinds of, tried everything medical, exhausted that option, Um, the landlord found me collapsed on my floor, took me to the ER and I was there for eight days and then they let me go with, after the, I saw every specialist and they were like here you go go home and I'm like wait you don't know what's wrong and you've had me see every specialist and I've been in here eight days I was so scared it's just in tears and one of the nurses I became friends with them because I was there so long yeah and she was like I know she's like I know it's scary but like all they can do in here is when things are life-threatening so you really need to start seeking like additional care out there and like find answers yeah and she's like I'm so sorry you're going through this so we kind of became friends and um I went on this journey of trying to find out what was going on and my friend kept saying hey I think you have Lyme disease and I was like no that's not it like it's something different and 
Um, I finally looked up all the symptoms and I know I noticed out of like 78 I had like 71 of them and I just went okay this might be it so I didn't look if it was life-threatening at the time or not and at that time it was I think there's a lot more care now but um, I went to a specialist and brought in all my hospital all my medical records for years because I'd battled behind the scenes the whole time I was doing tours help doing stuff since I was like 19 I battled so um, no one knew it, not even my closest friends, and just my family. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and had uh, stacks of medical records, and she was like, I'm sorry it took you this long, but this is what you have. So that was even before going to South Africa mm-hmm. and getting Babesia. So I'd had Lyme, I guess, from being bit by ticks a lot when I was a kid, but it was dormant. And then I had multiple concussions and brain injuries and then babesiosis. And so, yeah, when I was on that movie set and didn't know where I was I came home and I prayed and I was like okay God like I want to be married one day I, I want to be able to do all these things that I feel called to do and I feel like I'm going to end up in a mental hospital or or like lose everything mm-hmm. I don't understand what's going on and um, right that's when I looked up the Lyme symptoms found the specialist and she was like uh, we need to start treatment right away and I was like so we schedule it for next week she was like no today mm-hmm. it was the latest stage and it was in my brain. And then um, I ended up in a wheelchair. I had to move home to South Carolina with my parents. And I was 31 when I had to just, all my friends are out there like dating and getting married or having baby showers. And for three years, I was mostly bedridden at my parents going through treatments. And I, um, I knew it was gonna get worse. I had a feeling it was gonna get worse. And, and I was already losing my mind. I didn't know who my parents were most days. So it was really hard. And I, um, I basically started a miracle list. And I said, okay, God, like in the past, when I went through traumas, I, f- I pushed you away. Mm. And then other times I fought you, like, why would you allow it? And I said, but this time I need to know you're here and I need to know you're good. So I'm choosing to trust you in the battle show me you're good and um and show me that you're here with me mm-hmm. and I just started a miracle list I kept it for four years and I started it back up again recently but mm-hmm. um I kept it a long time and it was really cool because I feel like sometimes you can feel distant from God even as a Christian and if you start looking for him like if you start writing down every day like the ways that you see yes. him show up in your life you feel so much closer all of a sudden mm-hmm. he gets very real for you again so I recommend a miracle list, but, um, <laughs> I kept that and it was the hardest season of my life. Um, not only was I battling like psychosis episodes and, um, uh, just paranoia, anxiety level, uh, hallucinating, like it was everything brain wise. And the miracle of that also is that my parents could have easily taken me to a mental hospital and put me there. Cause how could they deal with that? They've right. never experienced that in their life. And, um, they just kept telling me like, you're real, you're here, you're Renee, we're your parents. Like they just battled with me, battled for me. And they never put me there. Had they put me in a mental hospital, I never would have gotten the answers I needed, which was that it was an infection and actually autoimmune encephalitis, which is an autoimmune brain, which is the most fatal brain disease, very Mm -hmm. dangerous. And, um, I found out later I had that too. So Anyways, had they put me there, I would have died because I never would have gotten the care I needed. And um, 
I'm so grateful that they they went through it with me and they took shifts staying in a chair next to my bed <laughs> every night for three years um, so that when I woke up, if I was having a seizure or if I was having like episodes all over my body or if I didn't know where I was, that they somebody would be there. So they really sacrificed like their life to, for my life and their finances for me to be here. And um, God led me to a lot of treatments that I never heard of. And I did everything from like stem cells to hyperbaric oxygen therapy to ozone IVs to other IVs to peptide trials, like so many things I never heard of. And um, I, I like how it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy but God came so you may have life and have yes. it abundantly. And so I feel like when you feel like there's no options, actually there's abundant options. Um, but one thing that was really hard was when I went through this, I also had friends that died from similar mm-hmm. things around me. And um, I remember just asking God, like, how can I help people if I can't tell them you're going to heal them? How do I know I'm going to heal? Um and being in a surrender of that that place, which I know some people know what that's like, but when you're surrendering at a point of, I may or may not live, you know, like, but I'm going to trust you. Either way, um, that was the hardest point of surrender because it's your whole life. Yeah. And people naturally want to do everything they can to live, you know. But to surrender was my, my biggest fight, actually, was surrendering mm. to him and just saying okay, like I pray for healing. I know you're a healer. I know you can do it. But even if you don't, like the, like the prayer in the yeah. fire, you yeah. know, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, yes. and Abednego, even yep. if you don't, um, we'll praise you. Yep. And then, and I felt like God said, um, what do you want more healing or me to me at one point? And that took me a second to answer that actually. <laughs> um, but I remember just saying, well, you, because I don't want life without you. Like, you're everything. I've, I've found you to be everything for me. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want life without you in it. And I wouldn't. Um, he, he's the reason I, like, am here. But he's also the reason I'm who I am. And I've overcome other things mm-hmm. other than just the health stuff alone in my life. Other traumas. And so, um, so yeah, he's everything for me. And I was just like, you first, you know. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he was like, you can't tell everybody I'm going to heal everyone, but they need to know that I'm there for them, like that I can be there so that they can go through harder things and I can overcome them and I can heal them. Like he heals on this side, he heals here and he heals in heaven, but he's always a healer and he's always for life. There's life here and there's life in heaven. And so he told me like he defeated death. So So don't like think about dying. Don't surrender to dying. Cause some people were like, maybe you should surrender to dying. And that felt so dark in my spirit. I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and um, I felt like God just told me, like, there's life here. There's life in heaven. But he is always for life. Don't ever doubt he's for life. And don't ever not pray for healing because there's healing here and healing in heaven. It just doesn't always look like we want it to. Um, and I think it's the hard part when it comes to that surrender. That's a hard place to be. But the Garden of Gethsemane prayer is, like, one of my favorite parts of the Bible because I realized how much fear Jesus felt in that moment, how much yeah. anxiety to to like sweat or cry tears of blood. They say you only do that in the uh, highest level of anxiety, highest level of stress, traumatic yes. state. And I've been through major trauma and I've never done that. So I'm like, 
okay, if he <laughs> can even say, take this cut for me, yeah. but your will be done, then I can do that. And it also gives me permission to be, to, for it to be so hard to do that. And um, so scary sometimes to face that battle that I was facing and it, and it never let up. It, the suffering was just ongoing every day and minute to minute, hour to hour. So like mm. it, it wouldn't let up. You don't get a break. You don't get to sleep it off and feel better. Like you just never get a break when you're in suffering like that. So um, I'm grateful to be here and God showed me like visions of me getting married, me in a wedding gown and me with two kids and me speaking and um, speaking life into women and uh, from, from stage. And so I've seen all these things. And then like the one I've experienced so far is I got married and I teach dance. Like I was in a wheelchair and, and bedridden and fighting for my brain and fighting for my life. And like God's restored things to the degree I can't even like, doesn't even make sense. So much redemption. Yeah. And restoration. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, on Thursday, I was praying, because I knew we were going to be doing this, and, um, I, he gave me three words during my prayer time, and it was rebuild, restore, and redeem, and I was like, wow, okay, that's, like, perfect for, <laughs> for what Renee and I are about to talk about, um, but I do yeah. think that that's what he's always doing in our lives. He's always restoring. He's always redeeming. He is always rebuilding. And, um, yeah, your story is just a, is, is one of such inspiration because of that. It's literally his heart and his love yeah, for humanity, like in yeah. through your story. I yeah. Know. And, and we were talking about redeeming love and Gomer <laughs> and Gomer <laughs> And um, not only did I act like Gomer, but like running and chasing after other things and like thinking I know how to make God's will happen or what's better for me. Um, But also I went through the traumas that like are in that book that like broke her, you know, rape trauma and things before the health traumas. Mm -hmm. And so without Jesus, I wouldn't have overcome any of these. But also he's redeemed so much more than just my health. Like he's redeemed my heart, my life, my... um, my purity and like through marriage, like he's even shown me the goodness of intimacy and like the love there. And so there's been so much redemption. Redeeming love. Yes. Redeeming (laughs) love is like the story of my life. And that book, he actually had me read that book again while I was dating Mike. Oh, second time I've read it Oh, while I was dating my husband so that I could not fight it. Like I could receive it and I, I could keep taking steps forward. And um, God just really showed me like, that he is just a redeemer. And I always said, I was like, I want to know you as a redeemer. I've known you as like when things are so broken or when the trauma happens, you heal after yeah. or like you come in and fix it or you like, you know, um, keep me upright on my feet and moving forward and, um, everything in that area. But I, I want to know you as full redeemer. Like, cause I had had so much trauma and trauma and trauma and trauma. Um, I didn't know life without it. Yeah. And now I'm experiencing life without it. And I don't fully understand how to step into that because I'm used to the traumas. I'm like, kind of like waiting for bracing myself all the time. But, um, God is teaching me to let go of the brace myself thing and just to trust that he's there with me when things happen and he's there when things are good. And like, just 
enjoy the life he's given me. Like he wants you to enjoy it. Abundant life. Yeah. He wants you to enjoy it and he wants you to play and have fun and, and not take everything so seriously. And, and also I really surrendered acting. I had to, you know, my brain was (laughs) gone and I had to surrender dancing because they're in bedridden. Like I couldn't even hold a water bottle. Mm. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't shower myself. Like couldn't take myself to the bathroom. Mm. Like everything had to be done for me for at least like a year and a half of that, if not more. Um, yeah. So, uh, super independent to <laughs> completely dependent. Yeah. But, um, I don't know what I was saying with that. I don't really know where That's I was good. going. <laughs> that was, yeah. Dependence on God. Yeah. And like seeing, I mean, seeing his hand on everybody. That. Yeah. Oh, but like the goodness of the restoration. So from the that to that point, yeah. to be at that point to now, like not only being able to walk, like I had to learn to walk again, drive again, or I had to build up my strength to walk again. I had to learn to drive again. I had to start that really slowly so that my mm-hmm. brain and nervous system could adapt to driving and I had to learn to grocery shop again and handle lights and sounds mm-hmm. and people. And, um, I went from not being able to have conversations to now hosting a talk show yes you know all kinds of stuff so I hope to act again I haven't tried I I did a um I did an acting workshop and she said that I did an amazing job and she couldn't believe I haven't acted in so many years and I was like that is awesome and I had so much fun but I I haven't stepped back in yet but um I've been praying about it yeah I feel like I might I feel like I will um yeah, I just want to be a light in Hollywood. So whatever that looks like. Yeah. To shine light and tell messages and stories I want to be a part yes. of and want to do. So whatever that looks like. A light in yeah. dark spaces. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, Renee, what is something that the Lord has been teaching you in I this season? I'm so ready for this question. Because <laughs> I had another concussion recently I was in a car wreck and had another brain injury and um an upper cervical injury as well which I've learned is all connected in those nerves and nervous system it just kind of wrecked things a little bit um God has been teaching me not only before hitting that battle with health and through the battle of health and even now he reminded me again was when you get caught up in anxiety and fear over circumstances or what's going on or what you can't control or um even some things you can control but it's just scary to face them um god showed me the importance of how when we give in to fear or when we give in to the anxieties um we can spiral down with that mm-hmm. and he showed me how when you're doing that it's like you're eyes are just closed to everything God is actually doing in your life. Like what is, what is good? And you can't even see it because you're just fixated on, I got to fix this. I got to heal. I got to do this. I got to do these things. And even when I was in the battle for my life with health stuff, um, God kept saying like, give me the health stuff and live life. Like focus on life. Give Mm -hmm. me the health piece. Focus on this. Give me this. And so even recently I felt again, it was like, okay, Lord, like I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need to heal. And um, if I could even keep my job, because I teach dance, and I ended up being able to keep my job, had to modify how I teach, but they've worked with me, and I've 
been able to do that. And so teaching kids and I love it because I make an impact there. It's really cool. Can't believe I'm doing that. Um, that's also very healing for the brain, by the way. (laughs) So I can see why God kept me there. Um, but he's been showing me that the rhythms of rest and in his peace and scripture mm-hmm. and um, meditating on his word and and just the calmness and stillness. Like, we need it so badly because life is full of things that are going to make you anxious or afraid. And if you allow your thoughts to go there, like I said earlier, like, God doesn't lead by feelings. He doesn't lead by terrifying right. us. So that's not him. If he leads, it's like this kind of knowing that something's off or wrong or I don't feel quite right about it. But it's not like... I'm terrified, I'm paralyzed with right. fear, and then you avoid the thing. Yeah. Usually that's something he's usually kind of taking you into. <laughs> um, but he's showed me, like, not be led by feelings, and especially when it comes to anxiety and fears, but instead to focus on him, focus on his word, find rhythms of rest, um, enjoy sunshine and movement and community and love. Like, love's been the greatest healer. Like, yay, Jesus, Ooh. thank you for my husband. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. Yes. But um, even, like, a hug, how it calms your nervous system. So cuddling that much, mm-hmm. like, yay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Probably why. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, he's just been showing me the importance of not giving in to fear, not giving in to anxiety, because he didn't give us a spirit of fear. They did give us power, power. over our thoughts. He gave mm-hmm. us his love, but yes. also love through others and love through... Love like a marriage, but love through friends, mm-hmm. love through a church community, um, love of what you do. Yeah. Like there's so much. And then. Sound mind. Yeah. Sound mind. And then the other thing I learned that was really big for me was before when I was in the industry, it was like, oh, this is God's call. I've got mm-hmm. to do this. I have to make this happen. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And yeah, those things might have been true, but it needed to be like the way he wanted to do it and in his will and his timing, mm-hmm. but also it's about like God gave me gifts so I have a lot to give and to enjoy being able to just give them because mm-hmm. if you're looking for them to fill you or make you feel accomplished or for a paycheck <laughs> yeah or just fulfillment like yeah and feeling like this is gonna fill me up this is gonna mm-hmm. make me happy this is gonna it doesn't and um, we enjoy it but but if you're looking for it to fulfill you you'll never be filled mm-hmm. and so I feel like I had a whole different mindset shift and I told God if he wanted me to go back into that industry that first of all it better be him asking me to because it was so hard and stressful before um but I said it has it needs to look different my mindset needs to be different and so he gave me a mindset of like when I lost the ability to do anything all I wanted to do was to be able to use all the gifts again so I have something to give and I have a place to give them away so now I look at it as, like, I get to give instead yeah. of I want something from it. Like, I get to give, and I get to tell these stories, and I get to bring them to life, and I get to move people's hearts and touch lives, and I get to bring heaven to earth, like, in this way. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? So so it switched to, like, what I can give away and how I can help others and inspire through my story and help yes. them go through stuff that's hard because that was... That was so hard to do. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, Renee, the last question I have for you in conclusion, I always ask, I always ask my guests 
to finish the sentence. So the sentence is, hang on, sis, because. So I'll let you finish the sentence. Hang on, sis, because. There's life for you. Mm. So much life. It gets better. It gets better. And the better here doesn't compare to the better in heaven. It's what God always talks about. So I think no matter what you're facing, you can hold on to it will get better. Mm. You know? That's so good. And there's life. Both places. There's oh. life. It reminds me of the Frank Sinatra song. The best is yet to come. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's so good. Um, and then I was going to say that the cool thing that God has done mm-hmm. through all this was before I hit crisis, he told me to do a talk show and to speak life into women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, that's awesome. And then I ended up in crisis and on bed rest. And I was like, you must have messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I do that for you now? Like timing was off. Mm-hmm. And, um, instead through that unraveling, God showed me all the ways the enemy was taking me mm-hmm. out. Um, mindset, heart, body, um, spiritually like how he was just trying to attack every area to like break you down yeah and by that unraveling in all those areas like now I feel called to build up women in all those areas so they do have full life Mm. and so we do speak life into each other and we really speak life like here's life and this is what it looked like when it was gone and so God showed me what he has in place in our like to have healthy mind body spirit and heart because all those areas of health give you life Mm -hmm. and so now I'm doing that and we have a talk show and it's the coolest thing ever that I actually get to say that because I've worked on this for (laughs) years from like my bed to to getting on my feet again to like trying to build it twice already and then when I let it all go then it just built itself so now we're doing it. Um, we launched. It's called Bright Life. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and yes. it'll be on all podcast platforms. Um, and we're relaunching in March. And so excited, so excited for too. it. <laughs> yeah. And then I also have been stepping into life coaching um, to coach people of how to be overcomers mm-hmm. through adversity and, and starting over. So new life new life abundant new life yes i love it i do too i love it and that's why it's called bright life yes because you have to look for the light and you have to Mm. um keep keep your life bright yes yeah come on yes (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs)